there might be 15 or 20 minutes before we even start recording where you're just chatting with someone and trying to get them comfortable because like this it can be daunting and it's not natural but I suppose yeah in in a sense like at the end of the day I, I want to see people be the best versions of themselves and I suppose I hate seeing wasted talent <laughs> so um yeah I just want people to succeed and have fun in what they do and be comfortable and but also challenge themselves G'day and welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. This week, we're doing things a little bit differently. So strap yourself in, turn up the volume and get ready for a great conversation. My name is Jackie Payne and I am the host today. Humans of Agriculture is a phenomenal platform to delve into the characters, the stories and the different perspectives that make up the agriculture industry and sector and make it such an interesting uh, sector to work in and contribute to. I would like to thank the sponsors or the sponsor of this episode, LAWD, specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. And you can find out more at their website at www.lawd.com.au. So this week, I get the absolute privilege of interviewing someone who isn't a stranger to the humans of agriculture world. In fact, this person is a phenomenal human of agriculture. And you don't have to take my word for it. To help with the introduction, I reached out to a few of his colleagues and friends and just asked them for a couple of words that pop into their mind when they think of this particular person. And here's just a couple of them. Curious, people-focused, brimming with enthusiasm, relatable, a trailblazer, incredibly energizing, and an engaging storyteller. So for those familiar with the podcast, you may have already guessed, and yes, it is. It is the brains, the drive, and the passion that created Humans of Agriculture, and I get to interview Oli Lalive. So with that, welcome to the show. Hey, Jackie, how are you going? Yeah, really well, Ollie. Now, just to break the silence and sort of make you feel a bit more comfortable, I'm going to throw you in the deep end straight away. Oh, how does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone and the controls? Yeah, well, I'd say I'm definitely not a control freak, but it's weird. I don't know, normally it's, it's easier when you just have to talk intermittently as opposed to actually come up. And I suppose now I know how the guests feel when you don't give them any questions or any, like, I suppose, foresight into what the questions might be. So it's not a little bit daunting, but it'll be fun. It sure will. So, no, thank you so much for the opportunity to, um, yeah, put you on the other side of the microphone and get to know the host and, and what drives you because you're an incredible character. Um, and I have the privilege of, of having known you for a couple of years. Um, so I first met Ollie at Beef Australia up in Brockhampton three years ago. And since then, I've seen Ollie's name pop up left, right and centre. Um, so it's been incredibly exciting to get to know you and also follow your journey. And that will also lead into and will explain how it's come to be that I'm the host today and, and Ollie's on the other side through our common thread of the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation and their flagship program. Um, so Ollie, can you start with just a fun fact about yourself, your like favourite animal, 
um, your first pet's name, anything you want to share with your listeners that might be new to them. The first fun fact that came to mind was that I've got a little dog called Zoe. She's a Jack Russell, Jack Russell cross. She's definitely like a bit of a mutt. Um, <laughs> but I was, yeah, looking for a tractor dog a few years ago back in 2017. And yeah. so I was looking on Gumtree and I turned up to the guy's place, saw Zoe and she's missing half an ear. And she's definitely not a Jack Russell, but she has a lot of personality. And so I suppose my fun fact is I've got a little legend in my life, a little Jack Russell. Yeah, perfect. Oh, Zoe's a very lucky dog. And uh, <laughs> if anyone follows Humans of Agriculture on uh, Instagram or the social platforms, they'd be familiar with Zoe as well. And um, ah, very good. So an animal lover. That's excellent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, Ollie, with your background, so you didn't grow up in the country, you grew up in the city, but always had a love for agriculture um, and, and a magnet, something pulling you towards it. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so I suppose I've kind of come full circle now being back in Sydney, which is kind of weird, but I've, I've spent the last... 10 years since finishing school, um, working predominantly, like, I suppose, in primary production and then in corporate ag. But the love for the land came from, uh, it was actually mum's sister who, yeah, her, she married um, a guy living at Winchelsea. And so, yeah, I, I became really close to my cousin, Alistair, who's now in his 50s. But so I suppose he was a bit of a, an idol growing up. And so we got to spend school holidays uh, down at down at their farm at Winchelsea at Mountside. And I think that's where I suppose the initial love for ag started. It was the romantic side of things. It was riding motorbikes and chasing sheep and just being outdoors and having fun. So I think, yeah, that was where, where the love for ag started and where it still is, um, yeah, part of it anyway. Yeah, well, that's quite similar to my own story in that um, although I, I grew up in central New South Wales, our family, all on my mum's side, had sheep and wheat farms at Young. So I spent all of my school holidays um, down at my cousin's place and just tearing around the farm, yeah, riding motorbikes, learning to drive, all the, all the outdoorsy things. Um, and, yeah, and through the family as well, you get to know the after-hours side of living in the bush as well and um, in the open space and the, just the genuine passion of everyone involved. And the yeah. mechanical, well, that's one thing about regional as well and agriculture is there's just such a diversity and everyone's skilled in everything from, you know, get a bit of an exposure in accounting or finance side of the um, operation to maths and through to marketing and just being part of the local fabric of the community. Definitely. the Even like jackarooing, um, like those early years on farm, it is, it's all about the physical and, chasing animals and doing long hours in tractors and whatnot. But I think, you, you know, there's a, a business piece behind it, but really over the last few years, and I think particularly through Marcus Oldham and the friends and yeah, people I've worked for, they are serious businesses behind it. And it just like, when, when you think about it, like getting Snapchats from mates who are sitting in the tractor all night at the moment, spreading fertilizer and, and sowing. And then during the day, like they're, still spending office time doing all orders and making decisions and it's very complex and stressful it's incredible it is um so you mentioned Marcus Oldham so what did you do down at Marcus yeah so Marcus was my I suppose 
second stint at uni. I ended up doing a Bachelor of Agribusiness there. I initially looked at Marcus during high school and kind of year nine and 10. And then um, my careers advisors, I suppose, and probably easily influenced away from it. So I ended up going to Sydney Uni initially or getting into Sydney Uni and uh, studying ag economics because I think that had the lure of, you know, you could go into trading or something and it, it was more business. It was a well-regarded university that everyone knew of. Marcus Oldham's kind of a smaller, lesser-known college down in Geelong. I think if you're in the industry, people know it, but kind of more broadly and, and maybe in the business world, not so much. And so, yeah, went down in, to Marcus in 2014, did the, the first year of agribusiness and then kind of was umming and ahhing during that year was, do I go ahead and finish the degree or do I take a year off midway in between? And I suppose, yeah, I, I took the mid-year out and went over to Canada with a few mates. There ended up being six of us over there, which was pretty wild and fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. And working on a, a big cropping property over there and then came back to Marcus and, yeah, I suppose the, the really cool thing at Marcus is with their courses is you have to do compulsory work placement. And so as part of the second year of agribusiness, we had to do 10 weeks placement. And so I thought I'd go like a little bit obscure, learn something new and ended up going and exporting asparagus out of Kuirup, which I loved. And I think that was kind of, I learned a lot in that. It ended up being six months up that I stayed there, but um, it was a very interesting time of my life. <laughs> and you mean, sorry, you said you learned a lot. Was that about yourself being in such a different, like I don't think you would have grown up saying, yep, I want to be um, involved in the export of asparagus. Hey, you may have a no, no, yeah. no judgment at all. No, um, I became the asparagus um, and I'm probably <laughs> like the laughing like. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I hadn't even eaten this stuff before I went there. And it was, I was working for a company called uh, Turners and Growers. With, and they, so they're a New Zealand-based company. They market uh, fresh produce all around the world. And yeah. they had a joint venture in Australia with Vizari Farms, which was, yeah, a family-owned asparagus and broccolini business. And, yeah, kind of an hour out of Melbourne, a really cool place, had like, 300 workers or something on the farm and wow. three of us exporting. Yeah, geez, 300, that's a big workforce. Crazy, yeah. And so I suppose, yeah, the learning. Um, we, yeah, it was just horticulture is an interesting industry. It's it's go, go, go. And um, for me, like I suppose, fresh out of uni uh, and thinking I had a work ethic, but um, we were loading planes and, and I suppose the, my fun fact is asparagus grows at two centimetres an hour. And so it literally gets cut morning and night and exported. And so it goes from the paddock into market in Japan within about 36 hours. And so it's highly valuable. It's highly perishable. And your phone will start ringing at 5am and it might stop at 11pm um, dealing with logistics people. And that was kind of my little area, which was, it was really cool and a, and a big learning. And I think on the back of that too, just learning about business and leadership. All right. I would Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported? Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. 
but we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. I want to delve into, so you've always put yourself forward and sought mentoring and leadership development opportunities. How did you start on that journey of putting your hat in the ring um, for those kind of opportunities? Because a lot of people... What I'm trying to delve into is a lot of people see opportunities go past and go, oh, no, someone else is, you know, more appropriate for that or or I'm not ready or I'm not at that point or, yeah, just don't back themselves. So you you step forward really, really well and this is a complete compliment. Um, So I'm just curious to know, yeah, what have you, what's your um, process that you've gone through to go, yep, no, that's a great opportunity. I want to throw my hat in the ring. Yeah, I don't, oh, I suppose it's an interesting one because over the last few years, I think maybe I've created a bit of momentum, I suppose, in, in one sense where an opportunity has then opened the door to another opportunity. But, like, it certainly wasn't like that always. Like, I remember spending time writing, uh, lots of time writing for scholarship applications at uni, missing out. So I think, yeah, to that, like, there was multiple times that, yeah, I've put my hat in the ring and have missed out. And whether that was that I wasn't the right candidate or just my application wasn't there or, or what it was, I think, yeah, probably like the turning point in terms of throwing my hand up and where the maybe self-belief kind of started to come in and be like, okay, like I am capable of being in, in these groups was the 2018 um, NFF's 2030 Leaders Program. And that I suppose literally was a bit of luck, but it was also – um, just, yeah, a matter of circumstance and putting my hand up. So it was at Beef Week 2018, I went up with my previous employer and saw Fiona Simpson talk and she had, that it was just at the beginning when the NFF were talking about their 2030 leaders, uh, 2030 vision of a $100 billion industry. Yeah. And she said, oh, next month or later this month, anyway, May or June of 2018, we're running roadshows around Australia. And anyone who'd like to go, come along. And so I remember being like, like sitting in the audience and was like, oh, that'd be interesting to go along and just listen to. And so, yeah, it was kind of, it definitely wasn't listening. We were absolutely active in that process. And so there was about 30 of us. I put my hand up for one in Bendigo, for one in Gippsland. And then, yeah, essentially just took the day off work to get to it. Um, and I ended up doing one in Gippsland and Tony Ma was there. And I, I feel like Matt Linegar may have been, but I don't know. And okay. yeah, I so suppose heavy hitters in the room. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. And then um, off of that, I, I then, yeah, they opened up this 20, 30 leaders program. And so I put my hat in the ring and yeah, I suppose off the back of that met, yeah, got a spot alongside seven other incredible people. And yeah, I think that was probably the, val- the validation point of like, okay. Um, yeah. I can put myself out there and the thing, yeah, I suppose in, in an actual real world context, it's not just about putting on paper, this is who I am. It was able to, like I could meet and greet and talk to people and I suppose, yeah, bring a bit of myself to, to it. It wasn't just 
trying to make myself sound good on paper and get it. Yeah. Does that answer I your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, I just wanted to get inside when you first sort of got that confidence or self-belief. And as you mentioned, you submitted applications for um, scholarships and got knocked back, not um, to discredit you. it's There's always a big pool of people, but you've got to be in it to, to progress. So, yeah, that's something you do extremely well is you don't shy away from opportunities and you've got to um, get in there. So when you first um, went down for the um, 20, 30 litres sort of um, get-together and the information session, did you take anyone with you or did you, you know, um, mention it to your workplace or friends or you thought, oh, I might just, I'll just go along and <laughs> see how I go? Just, yeah. No, I mentioned it to work. Um, yeah. And I suppose, yeah, I was in a lucky position then where I was the only I suppose, business development salesperson in the business. So it was, you never know who will be in the room. Um, and so, yeah, a, a good opportunity potentially to meet other people. But um, no, I, like I actually don't think it was a big deal, but I, know, I remember going like after doing it, then I, when the one in Ballarat or Bendigo came up, I was messaging mates and being like, oh, one, it's really worthwhile for yourself to go to, but two, like the industry needs you. And I think, coming back to that people putting your hand up, I don't, I think a lot of people in ag and, and they're busy. So, but like, you've got to contribute, you've got to give back and contribute back in order, like to, I suppose, play the long game and mm-hmm. a, a day of your time and putting your ideas forward. Like it, it, it's incredibly valid and, um, and important. And I think, yeah, how we get more people doing that and I suppose the avenues in which we do that maybe we need to get better at. But, yeah, we need more people contributing and, and putting their two cents worth. And Yeah, true. The um, diversity of opinions and different people coming into ag and being in those rooms and a part of those incredible development programs. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, so with that well, well, let's keep going with the 2030 leadership program that you did with the National Farmers Federation. So with your group, how many were in the group? Yeah, so there was eight of us. Um, Tegan Hogan-Smith, she's from Charterstown. She's a cattle grazier and mum up there. Um, there's Tim Kingmar, pork producer from Echuca. Katie Roberts from the Blue Mountains. She works with the Australian Farm Institute. Nicole McDonald, she's a uh, trained psychologist and was working for Cotton Australia at the time. Um, Amy Knight is, um, she, I suppose now she's working in the education side of things, but she started a thing called Little Brick Pastoral, which was basically Lego photos of, um, yeah, little Lego people, but out doing farmy things and using that as an education tool. So that was really cool. Um, Matt Champness, he was a uni student and still studying his PhD now in rice research. And... Ray, oh, and Rayali Banerjee. So she's with, um, she was with one of the banks at the time and now is working for one of the chemical companies. Yeah. Okay. I think that's everyone. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't count as you rattled off the name. Yeah, but there you go. There's a name plug for all of the, for the team. <laughs> yeah. I should know. We chat, we still actually chat nearly every day, which is probably the coolest part that has come out of it is the fact that we, we built a real friendship out of it, but then it's also like a, it's a, such a trusted environment. If yeah, whether it's recent conversations around um, what's happening in Australia with 
the sexual harassment stuff. Like we we chat about everything, and it's it's a pretty safe environment to express your opinions, thoughts, challenge each other's perceptions. And I think that was all born on the back of just our experience through that program. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's really powerful. So, what makes it that group of people? so unique that you can have those tough conversations or raise queries or, you know, have those robust conversations. Can you have the same kind of conversations with work colleagues or another network of people in your life? At this stage, probably not. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the only, I suppose the other person, and I'd say I'm probably quite an open person, like Tim Collins, who I ended up going on and doing some mentoring with, we, like, uh, very open and honest, honest with each other, but I think it's a shared experience. And so, yeah, touching on the the actual process of what that 2030 Leaders program was, we ended up in Canberra and we went to um, Kappa Cumberlong, just a little um, kind of farm area there. And so at the first, it was three or four days and essentially as part of the leadership program, the first three or four days was about um, understanding yourself and so we were put in some like different and challenging environments. But I think, yeah, in terms of, so it, there was the level, I think, of we were naturally being challenged personally. And then, yeah, pretty well on the first night, we had to stand up and do an impromptu speech on topics. And I think it, Tim, Tim's topic was something like a moment in, a moment that changed my life forever. And yeah, here's a bloke in his 40s, big, strong farmer. And, he opened up and was vulnerable. And I think that was where the penny dropped for us. And from that moment and to this day, like that is, has been a game changer in our relationship as a group, but also individually. And I think the the honesty which we can have with each other. Yeah, because when you're, you're vulnerable, you're opening yourself up. And, and through that experience, I imagine you all learnt a lot about yourselves, which allowed you to be more vulnerable and curious with each other. Definitely. And I like it. The vulnerability piece is um, a massive work in progress. And I, I don't think you ever like master it, but it, it takes so much courage and strength to be like, I need help or um, yeah, I suppose to be the authentic you. And I, I also think like for me particularly, like I've jumped around jobs a little bit and like, you have to play a game. Like you can't like, in some aspects in work like you have to fit to the environment essentially maybe I've got that completely wrong talk me through that a little bit well I I think and I suppose so I've worked my background worked in um the obviously the asparagus worked on farms worked in startup businesses in a couple of them and then when I worked in a big corporate and in the corporate like I in the startup and other businesses and even now in my latest role, like I feel like I can be myself and I feel comfortable turning up to work. Whereas I think, yeah, when I was in that corporate, essentially I probably had quite a built up level of anxiety, but constantly because you felt like you're being watched. And yeah, I suppose it was interesting in terms of, yeah, you don't want, you, you feel like you're replaceable there and, and easily replaceable. I don't know. That that's my perception. It could be completely wrong, but I think when it comes to being vulnerable, like I never ever had that conversation with any of my managers there, which maybe I should have. <laughs> hey, there you go. 
Well, yeah, with being vulnerable and the course and learning more about yourself. And do you now look at other people and sort of understand them a bit better as well? I think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, the course has definitely changed how you interact with people and it just raises, I suppose, your awareness of like how everyone's different, but also how I think it actually comes back to how you're engaging with them as such. And I think that's the, the piece out of it is, yeah. Like if, whether it's just an, an everyday conversation, you be, nearly become like hyper aware of how you're behaving and then, observing it with other people do yeah, you find that yeah yeah no that makes complete sense um so let's say there's someone I interact with and they frustrate me for some reason well then I go oh well hang on what am I doing or how am I perceiving this situation on what I'm doing that's, mm. that's leading to that and and working changing your approach and how you come across and what you're delivering and communicating yeah to change the outcome or change the interaction to make it more positive yeah no and and that's that's been one of the really interesting things like out of that course I think (laughs) oh well I'm sure the Australian Rural Leadership Program will continue to provide you the skills and um, mechanisms and toolkit to to help in that journey yeah absolutely I think just also like it's um, uh, one of the learnings, and I suppose it's through humans vague, but also on the back of those courses is like people are so willing to be an ear or offer advice if you ask them, but it's like as in whether it's say managing people and you'd be like, oh, I've got this situation. How do I deal with it? That that was, yeah, off the back of, I suppose, the other interaction I had with the ARLF was with mentoring with Tim Collins. And um, that was a six-month process where we were meeting fortnightly. And that was cool because like over six months, a lot can happen in your life. And so it wasn't just like, Tim, I've got a problem today. And uh, yeah, I, I want to chat with my boss about it. It was like, he saw, yeah, we chatted about everything and when it was good, then when some challenges came up and then, yeah, we, we're still chatting today. So. Oh, that's good. And you guys started that relationship mentoring relationship last year, was it during COVID? Yeah, so we started in July, um, June or July, and that was, yeah, so he's, I've never met him in person, I feel like, it, so he's from Western Australia, and yeah, obviously I was in Melbourne all of last year, so Tim and I have got to know each other very well over Zoom, and yeah, but uh, we're on different sides of the continent. Yeah, okay, no, well, hopefully the borders and, you know, you'll meet in person um, soon, no doubt. Yeah. It'll be a great catch up. So what's that been like seeking um, a mentor and having a mentor, a structured mentor? And then do you also have informal mentor um, relationships? Yeah, so I suppose um, like mentoring for me, like dad's a big mentor, but he's, so I suppose he's, it's definitely not formal. Dad's like a, yeah, bounce ideas off see if you agree with his advice or not, and then <laughs> either take it or don't. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I think I've had, had other people who I've worked with and around who I can um, bounce things off. This, yeah, this was definitely my first time doing formal mentoring, which was a game changer because I think, yeah, to that point where it wasn't just 
turning up and and I think when it came to mentoring before and it was at times where I needed advice on a specific area so like when it came to changing jobs a few years ago I reached out to Georgie Ailey and had a chat whereas the formal mentoring and and still ongoing now is we're we're like going through yeah yeah you're actually going through life and so some weeks it was like oh there's actually not much to talk about as such like it's literally a catch up and see what's happening and then other times it was and I, and I suppose exacerbated by COVID there were times where like our team at work um, that I was part of and, and a very junior part of like I, I thought there was a, a real concern around people's health and well-being we were unmotivated people were yeah just really disengaged and not looking forward to turning up to work and I was the exact same and it so yeah, like I, Tim and I talked over that for probably at least yeah two to three weeks um, regularly, and then yeah, it, it was that someone needed to say something, and so I nearly got to do yeah. Use Tim is a well-credentialed executive. I used him as the the real world case study, um, yeah, to I suppose develop that conversation. And funnily enough, he. Had a had a, someone come to him in his team a week later saying, Tim, um, yeah, last week this happened because of the conversation we'd had. It actually allowed him to see it from a different perspective. So he could nearly see how this person was approaching a similar, I suppose, topical conversation that that yeah, we we're coming at different angles and it was very complimentary in the end. That's incredible and just shows how beneficial those kind of mentoring relationships are for both people, both, both parties. Um, Definitely. Do you have a mentor? Not a formal one. No, no. Although, and hey, that can be our segue through to, so the reason I'm the host today is because I'm part of um, course 26 of the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation's um, flagship program, the Australian Rural Leadership Program in course 26. And, um, very, very exciting and a huge congratulations to Ollie, who is announced as being a participant of Course 28, which kicks off shortly um, later this year. So I think to answer that mentoring question, yes, I'm part of 35 incredible humans. Um, I'm going to say humans of agriculture. We come from all over Australia and the Torres Strait and the relationships like what you were talking about with your fellow um, 2030 leaders um, cohort, the 35 of us, because of the experiences you go through and the vulnerability and just getting really hard feedback or great feedback allows you to reflect on yourself and learn more about yourself really because it all starts with self and then contributing to a cause bigger than self, um, a purpose bigger than self. So, yeah, I really use the other cohort members um, to have really honest conversations and also seek feedback. So you build such a strong level of trust with each other um, and you are incredibly vulnerable with each other uh, that, yeah, you can go to each other with any sort of question um, or task or challenge and pick each other's brain and, yeah, it's, it's not like any other relationship really. You, um, yeah, get some good, good input from each other and hold each other accountable as well, which has been really, really powerful. So a huge congratulations on, yeah, being a part of the newest cohort, Course 28. 
Thank um, you. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, it's good. Uh, like I'm, I'm really excited. I think that like it, it's certainly a long process. So I think applications like we apply, I applied back in July last year. So really, or July, no, August, um, started kind of when I was talking to Tim and Tim was a graduate as well of the ARLP and yeah. So like I was, yeah, we, we had our interviews. I had a couple of interviews for it and then there's kind of like a lull over December and I was like, surely we'd find out soon. Like if, if you're going to get it, surely you find out. And then January rolled around, hadn't heard anything. And I was like, uh, I think you start playing like funny mind games. You're like, oh, well, I haven't heard yet, but maybe it's a good thing because they're trying to find something. I think like you, you hope that you're going to get it, but you're kind of expecting that you're, you, it's going to take a few turns. And so to get in uh, on the back of the fir- my first application, and receiving that call from Matt was really cool. And then, yeah, I suppose on the back of that, finding out which scholarship, because that he like he just said, oh, now I'm excited to let you know that you've got a spot. And I was like, you beauty. <laughs> hey, doing cartwheels and fist pumps yeah. while you're on the phone to Matt. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm like, oh, I probably should ask who sponsored my place because it's, it's not a cheap contribution and it's a, yeah, big commitment. It is, it is. So, so the um, alumni scholarship is the one that you got. Yeah. So, um, the very generous people of, uh, yeah, the fund, the foundation's fundraising efforts of 2020, but also it started back in 2019 at the gala dinner, and so had, um, yeah, some very generous people donate across uh, 2019 and 20, and I think yeah, that kind of just shows. To me, like that's what's so special is that it won its the alumni scholarship. So I kind of have this connection to everyone who's gone through. Um, but also too, like just the amount of effort behind the scenes to get a get a place and, and make this one available for me is yeah, something I, I don't take lightly at all. Yeah, no, well, congratulations, as it is a phenomenal program. Um, and it's for those not familiar with it, it's an experiential learning program where you are thrown in the deep end. Um, uh, and, I, and you can't give away too much, but 15 month leadership program, completely immersive. Um, and you build such a strong bond with your fellow cohort and then also become, um, once you graduate, a part of the ARLF, so the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation alumni. Um, and it is honestly people from all walks of life, all stages of life, all areas across um, rural and regional Australia and the Torres Strait. And, and it's people that genuinely have a passion for um, contributing to the prosperity of rural and regional communities. Um, so, yeah, Ollie, you're a fantastic candidate and I wish you all the absolute best on the program because it is a phenomenal experience and I can't wait as you progress through it. And Then we yeah, can talk learn. about it. Yeah, then we can talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> and that's why I feel it, there's like a, it's, it's elusive in the sense that uh, uh, people you talk to about it, they're like you. It, it's hard to describe but that you build such a connection with people but you've just got to throw your hat in the ring and do it as such. And I think that's, yeah, kind of, I've, I suppose I've had like the tiniest taste of, and I'd never heard of experiential learning before I did that 2018 program. Uh, but yeah, basically allowing yourself to be a leader in, in the real world and real world scenarios and be tested and out of your comfort zone. I'm, well, I actually can't wait. It's, 
No, but it's, it's like every opportunity and development opportunity is you get out of it what you put in. So if you go there with an open mind um, and you, you don't know everything and once you get thrown in these situations and, and support each other through it as well, you learn so much about yourself and others, which then you can apply. Like I think I reference or, you know, think back to something in the course every single day. It's that impactful. Um, to just help give you the tools and and be self-aware yeah so it's an incredible um opportunity and then so with with your application and where you are at your within your career and obviously being the brains the passion and the drive behind humans of agriculture i suppose we better spend some time on that as well (laughs) and definitely want to understand and get behind what was it what was the gap that you saw like what is it that humans of agriculture you thought yep there's something missing here and I want to I want to bring people together um, through creating humans of agriculture yeah well I suppose like the gap I saw was there's so much negative some or just news generally news is incredibly negative like it makes headlines which allows them to keep the doors open and stay in business but as an industry, like we have such incredible stories and like the bush poets, like people from rural Australia have always been storytellers. And I, I don't think we have embraced the the power of storytelling and people actually talking about themselves enough. And, and, and it's uncomfortable in a sense, but when people start talking about, when you, when people start talking, I suppose, about their why, and that's the piece that I wanted to uncover. Like, why do they do it? Why do people get out of bed? Why are they involved in agriculture? And I suppose, with our industry, like what gets me really excited about it now is we're seeing this like convergence of agriculture, but then there's the health and nutrition and the growth of that segment. And um, I suppose the the learning I've had over the last year and the 50 odd conversations is it's just understanding different perspectives and different people's ideas. And I think like, um, whether it was Veronica Phil with talking, so she's got a plant-based cheese business which is going bananas and um yeah I suppose it's just a, a genuine fascination with these different areas and different markets and at the end of the day if people are eating um or wearing clothes that are coming from an agriculture producer then yeah I suppose I've defined them as a human of agriculture and um that that, that were the people I wanted to talk to and be curious and ask all sorts of questions. Yeah. Um, so where did your curiosity come from to create Humans of Agriculture and to ask those questions? Yeah. So, well, I think like initially it was, um, yeah, I, I suppose the, the disconnect that exists between producers and consumers. And, and I saw it in an Australian context. Like we, and the stats back it up, 83% of Australians list their connection with uh, farmers as distant or non-existent and like th- that's changed generationally and so yeah I, I suppose there, there's that gap but then it was and I suppose this had been an idea we, we always reference the city country divide which I hate um, but there, there is a disconnection that exists and uh, people are eating so it's like how do we actually start to connect the dots and and talk in a way that people are engaging with uh like their food whether it's a coffee and actually starting to understand the journey behind what it takes it and taking it back inside the farm gate 
then humanizing it as well. And I think the, the supply chain is so complex, but behind all of that is people joining the dots. And I think that's where the, the interest, I suppose, comes from, whether it's, yeah, someone who's producing things, someone who's moving them or even like consumers and what's driving consumer decision. I think that, yeah, the, it's nearly like a psychology, which I know nothing about. And I suppose that's where I just want to ask questions and understand. Yeah, because even with yourself and having not been an asparagus consumer and then getting on the ground and understanding the supply chain to getting asparagus within 36 hours from farm overseas, that's pretty impressive and, and demonstrates just how complex but how much passion goes into every contact point in that chain to make it all happen and, and get that food and fibre um, available to consumers. And then helping tell that story, that's pretty powerful. So with Humans of Ag, have you been contacted by a lot of people that want to know more or that are, are suggesting topics or speakers to you? Because I know that myself, I'm going to say a human of agriculture and lover of agriculture and, and regional communities. Um, yeah, understanding the stories is just powerful and everyone involved is so passionate. Yeah, um, yeah. passion is absolutely something which comes through and, like, it comes through in different ways. Um, in terms of have people been reaching out? Not, not really. And uh, I don't know. It's an interesting one and I, I certainly don't know the science behind it. Um, and I suppose this is the, the disintegration I want to get away from. Like, we're not just a podcast. And what actually started Humans of Agriculture was it was based off what Humans of New York do which was just photos and stories of everyday New York as well essentially what humans of agriculture is is stories of everyday people influencing our food and fiber system so yeah in in the ideal world people would be writing their own short could be a paragraph could be a sentence it could be a blog post like I get blogs every now and then but it's very I suppose labor intensive at my end where it is every story that comes up is uh, coming from me, which um, last year was very doable, uh, <laughs> living and being locked down at home. But I think, yeah, as things have started to get back to normality a bit, um, yeah, probably just that the timing pressures come back. And I've got quite a lofty goal of 10,000 stories and I definitely am not, um, yeah, moving away from that, uh, I suppose, yeah, the the initial. Um, I, I thought it might, might have been easier than what it is. <laughs> No, well, honestly, I think 10,000, you'll smash that out of the park. But, yeah, it is a huge time and, and personal commitment that you're putting to it. So what do you see of the future, short and long term, for humans of agriculture? And are you open to people contacting you and saying, hey, Ollie, I've got this person who's involved in this obscure supply chain over here, but it might seem obscure to some people, but it's so interesting to others. Yeah, and I suppose to that point exactly, like I think there's there's just this notion of like it's the everyday, which people are like, they, they don't think um, it would be in, like maybe of interest or even like, yeah, maybe they don't even consider it. And I, I feel like it's that everyday activity which people would be really fascinated by and it's nearly like a, an inlet to people's lives. Um, am I open? You're doing a pretty good job of hosting, so more than happy for you to. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I think like I've I've looked at different 
essentially what I'd love humans of ag to do. And I floated the idea last year to a couple of companies and I was like, well, if you like, you can go out and create a podcast because everyone's doing it, but it's a long time to build an audience. Um, and yeah, if, and it's a massive commitment and you need consistency as part of it. That was probably one of the key learnings of it was that you have to, once you start releasing every Wednesday, you have to stick to it. And ah. um, in terms of, yeah, what, what I'd love to see humans of ag is actually like grow and become like a central platform as such and people can kind of plug in so whether it's uh and i suppose in my head i've got little mini topics so in your wheelhouse like food insecurity for instance like why couldn't someone else come on and host a six or eight part series on it that's podcast but then why couldn't they do photos and stories around it of real people and about food security or food waste and or food insecurity and so i think yeah in the ideal world it would actually it, it becomes more of like a communication mechanism, but how people in the industry talk. I think what I've learned is that when it comes to people telling their own stories and in an authentic way, it really connects and people, yeah, people engage and react to it. And um, I suppose the best performing post didn't have a single dollar of advertising, but within six days had reached a quarter of a million people. And like that, those numbers in front of any marketer, they'd be like, holy shit, how have you done it? But it- Ollie, that's, I'm just <laughs> going to pause there. That's a phenomenal achievement that you've created to help bring the humans of agriculture to fruition and, and to the audience. So, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to no. say that is <laughs> a huge achievement. You should be incredibly proud because it is a fantastic platform and the characters and stories and different perspectives that you bring to everyone's ears. Um, and visual through your social platforms as well. Yeah. yeah. And right. and so I suppose like on the back of that, like it's trial and error and some stories do well, some stories don't, but it's, um, yeah, it's learning. And, and I think open to anyone, anyone who, they don't even have to be in agriculture. If there's someone out there who is studying at university and wants to um, have a go at yeah, practising their writing in a fairly safe environment or they want to learn how to, host a podcast or do radio or whatever it might be like the the offers there if people want to do it the platforms here there's an audience here um come and do come and have a go uh, i'm not a control freak here in any means <laughs> yeah true you haven't you haven't wrestled me for the microphone back today so no. yeah so there you go there's an opportunity for everyone that's listening um to yeah get in touch and step into their uncomfortable and and tell their story because it is uncomfortable to tell your story but when it comes from a genuine perspective and, and genuine place um then yeah just talk about that and that's a bit easier and i think i'd, I'd be interested in that like flip it back to you but when you're hosting this was part of i suppose yeah the like for me starting the podcast was that i was curious and wanted to ask questions of people um, I thought others might be interested in listening in. But I, if I was to go for a coffee with, uh, let's say, Justin Webb, so very well credentialed executive, or yeah, I suppose even like an everyday person, Sam and Steph Rathui, um, who are farmers down in Tassie, like if you're to sit down and have a coffee with someone, you can be guarded in the questions you want. But like doing it over a, a podcast or a medium you can pretend that other people would want to know that question. And it can be a really dumb question. Ah. 
but you've got a license to ask anything you want essentially and as part of it too like you become better at listening which I think it is an art in itself uh, yeah I'm not very good at <laughs> oh so don't be a harsh critic of yourself you did a phenomenal job no well that's that's one thing that I'm I've been working on through the course as well is is asking questions and being vulnerable because previously I might have not asked questions um although I'm curious um yeah haven't asked certain questions so yeah I really enjoy all the conversations that you have and bring bring to the humans of agriculture table and and the way that you ask questions you're genuinely curious and want to want to understand and and ask those questions so that's there yeah, that's interesting that you've said you use the audience behind you as well to to ask questions yeah it's nearly like a safety net you can just pretend <laughs> <laughs> No. Um, well, then, what um, what what excites you and drives your curiosity and and passion? Um, I suppose, like, it's just understanding more. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I suppose I've, I've got like an interest in being probably like a generalist. So I don't know if uh-huh. there's an area I want to specialize in as such. But I, I suppose, yeah, the the consistent thing behind it is um, people. And so I think that's what yeah. yeah, genuinely interests me is, yeah, how do people get to where they are? How do they think? Why do they think that way? Um, yeah, what, like you've asked me, what, what's their why? But I suppose like what my why is as such is like trying to um, help others. And I suppose that behind the podcast and like some episodes, there might be 15 or 20 minutes before we even start recording where you're just chatting with someone and trying to get them comfortable. Cause like this, it can be daunting and it, it's not natural, but I suppose, yeah, in, in a sense, like at the end of the day, I, I want to see people um, be the best versions of themselves. And I suppose I hate seeing wasted talent. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I just want people to succeed and have fun in what they do and be comfortable and, but also challenge themselves. And proud of their stories too. Yeah. So now Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, is there so you you're on the other side of the microphone, so I'm going to give you that opportunity again. So with um humans of agriculture, where you are in your career, is there anything else you want to communicate to your audience um about you and, and what drives you and, and what you want to achieve out of humans of agriculture? Or any final messages? Oh, um, I suppose the biggest, and I suppose like you, at the start of it, you mentioned um, like, yeah, seems like things are, are going well, like um, got into the leaders program, like initially, and then, yeah, started Humans of Ag. And I suppose um, it's interesting and like just the imposter syndrome that you can have, like I've spent well, a decade full-time now in agriculture, which is a third of my life, but, or more than, um, and yeah, like, I don't know, you, st- you still feel like an imposter in some sense, but even with work and life generally, like I, last year, I kind of got to the stage where I was like, I actually have no idea what I want to do. And then I got to this crossroads where it was like, well, humans of agriculture is going well. I know there's an opportunity there, but I don't know what that opportunity is. And if it is actually 
monetizable to the point where you can have a living. And I suppose it's, yeah, what the opportunities you have when you're young is that you can take some risks, but then at the same time too, you, I suppose, yeah, like me personally, I want to build a career as well and contribute to businesses. And I don't, I think one of the biggest learnings I've had through humans of agriculture is that the, the importance of having, of teamwork, but having other people with different ideas, but also that you can't do everything. And I'm still so far from that because I'm still the only one behind humans of agriculture. And I think for me, the, if this platform and style of communication is to be successful, it has to have more people on board for it. But what that looks like, I suppose, I don't know. And so I suppose it, my, my parting message was um, with with work and being a bit lost in that aspect, but even with humans of agriculture, it's just that asking for help and, and literally saying, I don't know, um, can open up opportunities. And, and it has, that, that's how I've, yeah, been fortunate to get, uh, yeah, my, my job here at Auctions Plus was literally speaking with Angus and being like, I don't know what I want to do and I don't know where I want to go. And all of a sudden I'm in cities. So, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there you go. You got to just plant that seed and and put it out to the universe. And obviously, you're such a relatable, positive, energetic person that um, yeah, we'll see humans of ag expand. And who knows, maybe some other people behind the microphone and and a, a flurry of emails come through with various people to interview and topics to explore. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> there's no shortage of topics or people to talk to. So, anyone. Yeah, anyone who wants to get involved, more than open to chat about it. Incredible. All right. Well, I suppose we'd better wrap up there. I suppose so two call to actions out of that is get in touch with Ollie for Humans of Agriculture for topics and speakers and ideas and opportunities. You've planted the seed out there. Um, and also with the Australian Rural Leadership Program, so the ARLP, which we were referring to, um, course 29 applications are now are going to be open from July. And if you're a genuine committed person who wants to contribute to the prosperity of rural and regional Australia or are curious about the program, um, jump on their website, uh, which is www.rural-leaders.org.au or reach out to Ollie or myself or anyone in the, in the um, ARLF network um, to ask questions and, and get involved in this incredible program to challenge yourself and step into the unknown. Um, well, with that, Ollie, congratulations on being announced as Course 28. Thank you so much for handing over the reins to me to have this awesome conversation with you to get behind the, the founder and the brains and the um, driver of Humans of Agriculture. It's been really, really great conversation. Um, and thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, JP. Absolutely love everything that you're doing um, and seeing your name pop up left, right and centre in all sorts of fantastic um, initiatives to contribute to raising awareness and, and getting the humans of agriculture out there. So well done and thank you.